What's up, guys? I'm Nathan. Someone say, hey. hey. Yeah, it's like a good, tired, like, hey, I don't have energy for this. Um, you, you are coming in here with stuff on your mind. Like, that's just a reality. You're coming in with, with maybe tests, maybe um, family stuff, friend drama, relationship drama, you name it. Um, tonight, I need you, like, with me as we try to get into the Bible together. And I'm coming in with stuff on my mind, too. But so, so all of us together, like, we need God to show up. We need to meet with him. This isn't about me trying to be cute and clever, whatever nonsense, right? This is about, this is about us together trying to encounter the God of the universe. Um, so I'm going to, like, invite you into that with me. You might be one of those people that's, like, you've never talked in church before. Like, you just sit there like this. Take some notes. Talk to me. Help me out. Like, work with me in this, okay? Does that sound good? Yeah, cool, great, a couple of you. We're gonna keep doing that together, okay? We, we're, we're gonna keep doing this because it's worthwhile for us to meet with Jesus. And um, I, I'm on staff at Veritas, work with the adult ministry team. Love you guys, love being back here. I'm like, it's easy for me to tell you I love you, because I do, and I'm gonna tell you I love you until you're tired of it, and I'm gonna keep telling you that. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah? all right, thank you. One thumbs up, I like that too. Um, I, I've been praying for you and thinking about our, our passage in the encounter series. We're going to be in John chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there. Last week, Jordan preached on the crucifixion, right? This is, this is like the symbol of Christianity is this cross Jesus died on. In fact, actually, backing up, Jordan and Ellie are, are potentially getting another foster kiddo tomorrow. Potential, right? So actually, I'm just going to pray for him and pray for our hearts um, as we get into this thing. So let's pray for them as they kind of prepare for this potential giant change in life. As Spirit, speak through the word and, and make Jesus beautiful to us. Please move past the distraction of tech issues or things we're bringing in tonight um, and speak through the word, make Jesus beautiful. And for Jordan and Ellie, as they wait, as they wonder, as they pray, as they prepare for something that may or may not happen, um, please meet with them and um, and continue to grow their hearts with your love, whether they get to, um, to, to be foster parents to this new little boy or not. Um, help them to trust you actively moment by moment as they wait for what you're going to do. Amen. Sometimes when we share the gospel, we do this thing where we go, hey, Jesus died for your sins. Have you guys heard that before? Raise your hand if you heard that before. That's incredible, right? That's a big deal that Jesus would die for our sins. Even if you're like not a Christian, you kind of have heard that before. Even if you can't really define sin or why Jesus had died, you've heard that before. But here, here's the deal, that's not the full story. Like that, that's, not, that's not the entirety of what the good news is. And, and that's not even just like a, like a cheap little academic thing, like, actually, there's more, right? Like, there's actually implications. There's results from your life if you cut the story short there. Because that's not how Jesus finished the story. That's not where he ended things. It didn't end with him dying for our sins, although that would be really good news alone. It actually is better than that. And again, I'm not, like, that's not like a, a cute little cheap thing. There's so much more for our life with God now if we, if we understand the story that Jesus wrote us into, if we understand the victory Jesus has for us. 
I think there's, there's implications for your joy. There's implications for your obedience. There's implications for how you deal with sin in your own life. Like, think, think for a minute. Has there been a time recently where you realized there was sin in your life? Maybe somebody pointed it out to you or, or stuff just blew up in your face. And your first reaction was to kind of beat yourself up for a little while. Man, how could I do this? Why am I so bad at this? Like, why do I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again? Like, maybe that was looking at porn. Maybe that was lying to try to impress someone. Maybe that was you going on like an Instagram binge and staying up way too late, looking at other people and seeing the sick jealousy come up in your heart and you put your phone down and you're just almost disgusted with yourself. And someone tells you the good news, man, Jesus died for your sin, that is good news, but, but we begin to act, we begin to act like there's almost something we've gotta, like if I just, if I really feel bad about my sin, I'll finally get past it. If I just, if I just finally get in my Bible, I'll finally get to deal with this sin. Those, those are, are, are helpful things like getting in your Bible and stuff, but when we finish the story, we might actually find God's solution for the shame, for the struggle, for the fear, for the annoyance. Yeah, the mic's gonna keep doing that. That's a distraction, right? I get it. Um, I don't know if it's spiritual warfare or just like tech stuff, but, but push past it with me, dial in with me, all right? Does that sound good? Someone say, yup. Yeah. All right, John 20. We're gonna read the, the continuation, the completion of the story, the way Jesus wants us to understand it. We're gonna, we're gonna read about the resurrection. Someone say resurrection. We're gonna see John recording three different kind of personal encounters with the resurrection. There's like a group thing that he kind of glosses over, so we're gonna gloss over tonight. It's good, read it later. We're gonna show three different resurrection encounters as we kind of work through this encounter series, Encountering Jesus. So Jesus has died, com completely died, hole in his side, water and blood coming out because physically he is dead. They wrap him up, spices, all this. They put him in a tomb, dead as dead as dead. John chapter 20, verse one. Now on the first day of the week, this is a Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. I, I don't know why she was here, but but we know that she loved Jesus. Maybe it's kind of like going to a loved one's gravestone and she was just gonna cry. She was just gonna pray. She was just gonna do something. But she, she shows up in the dark kind of secretly to the tomb and the stone is gone. That could mean that grave robbers came to steal his body. That could mean someone broke in to try to steal anything that was buried with Jesus. That could mean a lot of things. So verse two, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John. He's like, uh, Jesus loves me. I'm just not gonna say it's my name, but you know that guy that Jesus loved, wink. That, yeah, hey, Peter and him, okay? So, so she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Her assumption is, her, her idea is, man, they, they took Jesus' body. We don't know where his body is now. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, right? Humble brag. 
You know that other guy, he outran Peter. It's not a big deal. He reached it first. Anyway, let's keep going. Why are you going to write that detail in? I don't know, John. You're, you're cool. Keep going. Okay. Verse 5. And stooping to look in, they saw the linen cloths lying there. He, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. If you're going to steal a body, you're not going to unwrap it first. You take the whole thing out someplace safe. Why are you going to have the linen cloths laid out in the tomb? That doesn't make sense. Verse six, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, again, if you're a grave robber, you're not going to, to carefully take off the cloth from the face and fold it up and lay it to the side. You're gonna take the whole body in secret and run with it somewhere so you can deal with it later. If you're a Pharisee or religious leader trying to prove that Jesus is dead and have his body, you don't need to unwrap it right there. You take the whole thing. So in public, in the middle of Jerusalem, you can pull off the face cloth and go, look, he's dead. He's not coming back. They see an empty tomb, and more than that, they see evidence that, man, the body wasn't just taken. The body's not there. The cloths are there. The face cloth is there. Verse eight, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Someone say believed. For as of yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. He believed, but he didn't understand, okay? The word believe we use in a lot of funky ways. It, it essentially means he, he trusted something. He trusted what God had said, what Jesus had said. They didn't fully understand the scriptures. They didn't get that, that God had this plan the whole time that he'd been telling, man, I'm going to send my savior and he's gonna suffer and die. He's gonna bear their sins. They didn't fully get it. But he had heard over and over Jesus say, guys, I'm gonna die and I'll rise. I'm going to die and I will rise. I'm going to die and I will rise. And they hoped it would happen. He for sure died. But that second part is a lot harder to do than the first one, right? Like I could tell you guys I'm gonna die and rise, right? I might die. Okay, easy enough, I can make that happen. But, but that second part, that, no religious leader does that. No good Jewish scholar, rabbi, teacher can pull off that kind of trick. Here's one thing from this first encounter I just want us to note. They saw evidence and it led to a conclusion but other people encountered the reality of the empty tomb and it, and it led to a different conclusion. The religious leaders didn't find the body. The Roman guards didn't see the body, but it led to a different conclusion. You, you might actually be seeing evidence of God in your life and missing him. I kinda want you to ask the question, why? Like maybe you've been around the church or Christian community for a while and you've heard this story that I'm telling you, this true history. You've seen the evidence of the cloths lying there, but you're working really hard to find a conclusion other than the one that Jesus said, hey, I'm going to die and I will rise. The reason they believed wasn't because this was an easy answer. This would lead to persecution. This would lead to suffering. The reason they believed was because they heard Jesus say it, and when it happened, that was the, the most clear conclusion they had, even though it was almost unbelievable. 
Now, God's not afraid of your honest doubts. We'll see that later, but, but I just want you to ask yourself, are my doubts honest? Is it that God isn't giving me evidence or is it that I choose not to trust the evidence that I'm seeing? He, he sees and he believes because he's heard what Jesus said. This is encounter number one. Let's keep reading. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Because I love Mary, right? She, she's torn up. She doesn't get it, and she loves Jesus. And she's like, why would they do this to his body? I, he was a good teacher. He was so kind. He healed the sick. He loved people. Why are they going to take his body? Why would they do this? She's just bawling there. I get you, girl. I'm tired, right? I was like almost crying in my staff meeting the other day. My staff was like, hey. Are you okay, Nathan's like, yes, I just love Jesus and I need a nap, right? Like, girl got up early to come see Jesus. She needs a nap and she's really sad. Verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. Like, she believes that they're gone, and, and you might read them like, wait, girl, they're angels talking to you. What are you doing, right? Angels aren't necessarily like the little cartoon with the wings and the halo, right? A the word angel means messengers, messengers from God, but different times in the Bible, we see messengers from God that, that look just like people. But these dudes just showed up in the tomb. She's been so busy weeping, she's not comprehending, like, who are these guys? She's just like, where is Jesus? I'm not even asking who these random bros are. Like, where is Jesus? That's all I want to know. They ask her, why are, you, why are you weeping? And we see she assumes that they took him, right? Like, you, you see that right there in verse 13. They have taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. All she wants is to just cry over his body. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. That's kind of weird, right? Like, she loves him, but she can't figure out it's him. A couple reasons for this. One, she's boohoo crying, right? She's like, ooh, who is this? Right? She can't see through the tears. Two, the last time she saw Jesus, he had been beat up and killed, okay? Anybody been beat up before? No? No one wants to? Okay. Meet me in the parking lot afterwards. We'll figure it out. Okay. Um, no, like, like, Jesus probably had black eyes, Right? His face was probably swollen by the time, because they were, they were beating his face. They hit him with rods. He, he had blood running down his face. So when she sees him in the garden, not beat up, not bloody, tears in her eyes, it, it's not the logical conclusion to go, oh, that must be Jesus, right? There's also a reality we start to see where there's something about Jesus post-resurrection, where he's alive again, where he... He's him, but he, he's not, he doesn't exactly look the same. There's not a lot of clarity there because I think Mary told John the story because he had already left and gone home. But there's something about him where she didn't quite get that it was him. But, but keep following. It's gonna click for her in a minute. So having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. She didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, I will take him away. Like, if his body's an inconvenience, just, just tell me and, and I'll do it. Now, a, a woman, like, carrying a limp, dead body by herself, that's going to take a long time. She doesn't care. 
She just wants to love and honor and bury like she should. Jesus, she loves him. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned, said to him in Aramaic. So she, she's been looking at the tomb. She hears this guy. She said, just tell me. She, she hears her name. Maybe Jesus said it like, a, like she'd heard it so many times. It was music to her ears. He goes, Mary. And she turns and she says in Aramaic, Rabboni, like my teacher, my rabbi. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. She's holding on to him just desperately in love. You're back. I watched you die and you're back. Jesus, just stay with me. Don't go anywhere. She's clinging to him. He's like, hey, hold, hold on a sec. The story's still unfolding. There's something still happening. And catch this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hit something mysterious here, okay? You ready? Tune, tune into me real, real quick. Verse 17. Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, check this out. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. When I read this, I, I was caught off guard. Um, I was talking to actually my, my brother-in-law last night. He, he's a Bible scholar, knowing the languages. What up, Walt? He's right over there. Everybody say, hi, Walt. Okay, when I say everybody, it's not just somebody, okay? Everybody say, hi, Walt. Hi, Walt. Thank you. Um, Jesus only says, my God, like twice. So he might, when he's, when he's debating with religious leaders, talk about, well, God told you this, God told you that, but, but that phrase, my God, caught me off guard. Because Jesus is God. Why does he call God God? He only says, my God, twice. He says it on the cross when he's quoting the psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then here, look at that again. Mary, go tell my brothers, go tell the disciples something very important. I'm ascending to my father and your father. Jesus decisively introduced calling God Father personally. Jewish people didn't do that before. That was a, a brand new addition. Jesus saying, hey, you should call God Father. What he's doing right there is he's, he's taking his Trinity relationship with God, the Father and the Son, and, and he's inviting the disciples in, in Christ, to enjoy the relationship the Trinity has together. He's saying, you don't have to treat God like a distant deity. You actually are brought into a family relationship. And later, Paul tells us in Romans 8, we have a spirit of adoption. We can call God Abba, Father. It is full divinity on display there. And then he says, to my God and to your God. Actually, what he's doing while he's inviting them into his divinity, he's also showing his full humanity at the same time. Jesus walked perfectly on the, the earth as a Jewish man should. He walked in perfect relationship like a human should with God the Father. If you looked at him, that would be the way that you engage with God as a full human, completely. Not, not putting God in a box in your life like Nils was talking about, but all of your life connected with God. So in, in one short thing, he's telling his disciples something about his true, complete, full divinity and his perfect humanity. That's like box breaking, that's crazy, that's ridiculous, 
church councils like fought for years over them and they finally landed on this thing of like, okay, he's 100% man and 100% God. Uh, yep, I don't know how that works, but we're, we're dealing with a God that doesn't fit fully in our minds. In one sentence, he's, he's telling them, man, welcome into the Trinity relationship and I've, I've actually accomplished this fully as a human. It's insane. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Okay, these, are, these are two of the three encounters we've had. The first one we see that, that the disciples begin to grab hold of this reality, seeing the evidence and holding on to it actually with a trust, with a belief, with a faith based on what Jesus had said. And in this second one, we see Jesus is, is alive. He's not just a, a, a ghost out there. She can cling to him. And he's affirming his full divinity and full humanity. After this, Jesus appears to disciples, like a group of them together. And John kind of, he, he spells that out a little bit, but what he zooms in on next is what happens to the one guy that's not in the room. Like the one dude that missed the invite that night and wasn't at the party. And everyone's like, the party was lit. Come check it out. Jesus is showing up. I don't get it. And he's like, guys, what are you talking about? What were you smoking? What kind of weird mushrooms did you find in the garden? Like, Jesus is dead. We were all there. Like, what are you talking about? Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. So his nickname is like, hey, you're a twin. Which, dude, if you're a twin and your nickname is the twin, like, is the other one not a twin? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is his brother called? Like, his brother is like Jim, and oh, Jim's twin, right? That sucks. Poor Thomas. Let's, let's not beat up Thomas tonight, okay? We're not going to beat him up. His nickname after this, people call him Doubting Thomas. That's also a crappy nickname, okay? How about together we just agree? We're not going to call him Doubting Thomas. It's just poor Thomas, right? <laughs> oh, my dude. Okay, that's, yeah, we'll, we'll workshop a better one. Okay. Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He missed the party. So the other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in, in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger in the, the marks of the nails, place my hand in his side, I will never believe. He had walked with Jesus. I think he loved Jesus. His life had been transformed by Jesus, and he watched Jesus die. Watch him die. So his friends are spitting the story of like, we were at a party and Jesus was there. It was awesome. And he's like, guys, are, are you kidding me? It, I, don't think he, I don't think he didn't want to believe. I think he didn't, I don't think he wanted to extend his heart like that, right? Like he's, he's not gonna put his faith in something when, when he watched the reality of Jesus die. So he goes, I need to see for myself the scars. I need to touch for myself the scars that I watched them put in his body. Verse 26, eight days later, like Jesus makes him wait more than a week. I can't even wait for God to show up like 30 minutes. I get bored in my quiet time, right? Eight minutes or eight, eight days later, Jesus shows up. His disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them this time. He's not missing the party anymore. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Part of why he said peace be with you is because it's freaky when someone just appears in the room, Right? Like, hey guys, it's okay, I'm here. Peace be with you. Part of it is I think they were hiding from the religious authorities. Peace be with you. Then 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Where a soldier had stabbed Jesus to prove he was dead. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. He believes. He, he sees the evidence. He can put his finger into Jesus' scars. He believes and he, and he affirms, Jesus, you are my Lord. Like you are king and you are God. No one else can do this. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are the people that are going to hear about this reality and they're actually gonna trust based on what I've said, based on the evidence I show them. One of the amazing things we see from this encounter is that Jesus isn't actually afraid of your honest doubts. He's not afraid of your honest doubts. He, he doesn't really come down hard on Thomas because he knows Thomas's heart. He's kind to him. He chooses to show up and not leave Thomas just, just hoping and guessing and wishing. He wants Thomas in on it, so he's gonna show up again to invite him in to the reality of his resurrection. Jesus is so kind. He's so kind. Another thing we see is that Jesus has his scars forever. Someone say forever. The way that God wrote the story, his plan, his true history of what he was doing, he decided that for the rest of eternity, Jesus would have scars. Jesus would have evidence on his body, on, on the presentation of who he is. He would have evidence of his crucifixion. It's like in the Trinity, God decided we're gonna paint our attributes, redemption, forgiveness, love, grace, kindness over Jesus' body so that you can't encounter Jesus without encountering scars. We're gonna get to that in a second again. Finish verse 30 and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. This is his thesis statement. This is what he's about. This is what he wants us to do. These were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the promised Savior, the Son of God, and then by believing, in him, believing you may have life in his name. Without the resurrection, we don't have life. Without the resurrection, we miss out on resurrection life that Jesus is trying to invite us into. The people that were running scared, that were hiding in rooms when Jesus shows up, they go out and they preach and they church plant and they share the gospel and they get fed to lions. They get killed, beat up, put in prison. They're not running scared anymore. They have a different kind of life. There's a picture I just want, I want to use to think about this, okay? Um, it's a long walk. Um, check this out. This is a mug. Someone say mug. I drink too much coffee. This is my favorite mug at Veritas Cafe. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, pal. It says catitude on it. Um, I don't know why. And there's a cat butt. Um, 
this mug represents the, the debt that humanity owes to God. He's our creator. He says what we're about. He says what we're for. This is our debt that we owe him. It's empty, right? And imagine if the plan wasn't for Jesus to come back, but he said, hey, guys, I'm going to die and pay for your sin and left it there. Like, that, that's kind of the way we present the gospel sometimes, right? Like, Jesus died for your sins, and we kind of leave it there. So, so, so again, rewrite the story, pretend that that's the plan, and it's like, okay, Jesus died for your sins. He's, he's trying to fill up the mug. He's filling up the mug. He's filling up the mug. Great. Mug's full. Your sins are forgiven. You're paid for. Done, right? Just, just believe and trust. If I'm you, like, sitting in the back, and be like, is that mug full? Like, I, I can't see. Is there something, right? Like, is the mug really full? Is there something left in there? I don't know why it says catitude, but I just don't know if it's full anymore. And, and it would create space and room to doubt. Is there enough grace for me? Like, is, is there something, like, like, it's been a long time and a lot of people have come to Jesus. Has he run out of grace? Do I need to do something to, to kind of, help get this thing over the edge? It sounds ridiculous to think about it like that, right? But, but functionally, you might actually be living your Christian life like that's the case. Like if you've come to Jesus, maybe your fears and doubts are, oh no, have I screwed up too much this time? Oh no, how does God know that I'm really serious if I keep sinning? And again, you might not even put those words to it, but it shows up in your emotions when you hide in, in fear of God, like Adam and Eve in the garden, when you realize you've screwed up. Gosh, is he gonna forgive me this time? I'm just a little skittish. And, and maybe you wouldn't even picture it as Jesus. Maybe it's Christian community you've been hiding from because you know that if they really saw this stuff in your life, man, would they really accept me? There, there's just such a big gap between what I, what I say or, or what I want to be and what I actually do. You might not equate that with your belief in Jesus, but your function, your practice looks like there's some gap that still needs to be paid for. And let's face it, if Jesus had died and said, hey, in my death I'm paying for your sins but never rose to life, I think Christianity would sound like a lot of other religions. Name a religion you want, its founder probably died. Muhammad died. Buddha died. One of the things I read about Buddha is he might have eaten like bad like pork. He ate some bad meat and died after that. It's not a cool way to go, but um, whatever. Right, the, the founders of any religion you want to name, they died, and so Jesus would be just another one of those. And, and again, guys, let me... Um, I wanna say this as a friend, maybe your faith doesn't actually look that much different than other people's faith. It looks like I'm gonna try harder, I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna be disciplined, I'm gonna to try to be a good person. As if, as if there's something left to prove to God or something to earn before him. You might know that's not right, but it keeps showing up as the pattern of your life. This isn't the story. This isn't what the story looks like. Here's what we're gonna do. Um, I wanna show you the story that God actually wrote. 
Man, you might want to pick up your wallet, buddy. This is the story God wrote. This is the resurrection. Jesus rose to life, proving that God has in us grace for you. There's more. (laughs) Is there anything left for you to pay back to God? Is there anything left for you to earn before the God of the universe? Is there any room for doubt that God loves you through Christ? Is there any doubt that he wants you to actually have life with him now and forever? I don't know where that's going back there. I'm gonna grab a, I'm gonna try not to slip. Hold on a second. Yeah. Yo, you wanna help me out real quick? Thank you. Just make sure it's not going anywhere it shouldn't uh, back there, and don't slip. Thank you. This is the true story of Christianity right here. Yep, come on. Give him a hand, guys. We're going to have baptisms anyway, so that'll be fine. Oh, that's where it's going. Okay. There's a lot of water there. I didn't even get through all the way through my bucket. Okay. We're going to, we got three towels. I'm sorry. Is there anything left for you to earn before the God of the universe? Is there anything left for you to prove to God for him to love you? Is there any doubt that God actually wants you to have life with him now and forever based on the resurrection? Guys, give him a hand. Come on, mopping all that up. That's what's up. I'll get it later. Just don't slip. You're good. You can go sit down. Thank you. I gotta wash those towels. Um, The good news is that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin and he rose to life to prove that it was finished. He has more life to give, life abundantly. There's no room to doubt that he has enough grace for you, that he has the grace to save you and sustain you and give you life with him now and forever. The moments when you sin and you feel shame before God and people like, man, I gotta prove something. I I need you to have this in your mind. Jesus overflowing life for you. The bucket's not even done. He has more for you. It's not a cheap grace like he could forget. It was a costly grace. He bears the scars for eternity. But his accomplishment stands for eternity that he loves you that he wants you to have life in him and through him and with him forever. This is good news. This is better news than work hard to try to prove yourself to God. And it's more true than that story. Here's where that needs to come home for us. For some of you, you've not accepted Jesus. You've been acting like there's something for you to earn or prove or do for yourself. That's not the true story of history. So why not believe like the disciples that saw the cloth in the tomb? Like we're supposed to from John's gospel, believe and in believing trust that Jesus actually paid for your sin 
and more than that, rose to life in victory to give you life with God now and forever. And for those of us that have accepted that good news, I actually want us to be caught up in a wave of his grace in our lives. When you go to God, I just as I, as I was praying for you guys, I had this picture of like, of you going to God with your hands full of all the stuff you've been trying to do for him. Like here's my quiet time. Here's me trying to share the gospel. I took gospel 101, like I applied for leadership. I'm trying really hard, like here. And, and what Jesus does is he, he lifts your face and as he's lifting your face, you see the scars that he has. Like, yeah, work hard, like do what you can for Jesus. That's great as a response. But he doesn't first care about you coming to try to prove yourself. He wants to lift your face and to see the scars that are proof of his love for you, not your love for him first. You cannot encounter the real Jesus this side of the resurrection without encountering Jesus with scars that prove his victory and that prove his love. Did you move away from that to a Jesus that was moral, like a good teacher, a good example, and you missed the scars? That's the whole point. He died and he rose in victory. That changes my joy. That changes my obedience, that changes my repentance, that changes the way I treat myself after I sin, that changes the way I treat other people when they fail or when they fall short, like I do. Because it's no longer about what I could do or what you could do, it's about what Jesus did. And guys, we can worship him because he is alive to hear our praise and to meet us with nail-scarred hands, with love to welcome you in. Imagine if that was your reality. Imagine if that's how we lived. Imagine if we burned with that kind of love or, or we rode that kind of wave of resurrection life from him. I think we'd be people of joy. I think we'd be people of hope. I think we'd be people of courage. I think people would get around us like they got around the early church and they're like, what is going on? I don't get it. I don't get what they have, but they have something I don't. And we say, yeah, we have a resurrected Jesus who loves us and is with us. I think that would change the anxiety you've been feeling that's even been distracting you tonight about your, your papers and your tests coming up. He loves you. Yeah, work hard for it, but but don't miss his scars, that he loved you first before you could ever offer him anything. Nils, we're gonna, we're gonna worship, we're gonna sing, and as we worship, we are worshiping a resurrected Jesus who is with us as we're gathering. So stand up with me. I'm gonna pray and invite, uh, just, just pull our hearts into response here. Um, yeah, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna worship. Jesus, please catch us up and sweep us away in a wave, a wave of your resurrection life. 
please sweep us away on a wave of the reality that you rose in victory over sin, over Satan, over death. You rose proving forever that we could be forgiven, that we could be loved, not because of what we could ever offer you, but because you loved us first. And please invite our hearts, invite our minds, invite our hands to respond to you as you meet us in the